it's hot. It is. It's about 100 degrees outside. It's hot. It does that in the Midwest. And uh, we just ate We just ate supper. We ate at a Chinese restaurant, American Chinese. Unfortunately, we don't have any actual Chinese Chinese. We have American Chinese. And uh, I saw you doing something you don't normally do. It's an unusual <laughs> situation for you. You know, it's summer when I start sprinkling salt on my food. When you do. you. Uh, she's not a sodium sprinkler. She doesn't like the taste of it. I like the taste of salt. I'm a salt fanatic. I have to watch myself. I get high blood pressure if I uh, eat a lot of salt. There's a whole bunch of those tanks. Yes, there are. Okay, well. Now we know. Now we know. Uh, sorry, we're, we're looking for uh, watering tanks for the back of our pickup truck. Because we have, have to we water have, the back of our pickup truck frequently. <laughs> yeah, actually. Because we um, actually we have a, a watering tank in the back of our tank. We're in a little bit of a drought, and we're trying to keep things alive. And so we're prepping for in case it gets worse. And besides, we can use the infrastructure of water collection and stuff. So what does all this mean? It means it's hot. It's darn hot. And she's eating salt, which means let's talk a little bit about heating, overheating, heat stress. I know we've talked about this before, but we're going to talk about it again because it's yeah. a, it can be very dangerous. We're going to take a fresh perspective on it, a 19, 19, it's 18, a, a 2018 perspective on keeping cool when it's hot and not just keeping cool, but how not to give yourself heat stroke and heat stress. So, I went out for a bike ride this morning of about, you know, 30 miles or so and sweated out about 20 ounces worth of water. Probably that's about how much I drank in. And every time you lose water for sweat to cool, you lose salt with it. So you start depleting yourself of salt if you just replace the water and don't replace the salt. Under most circumstances, most Americans get way more salt than they need on their way, diet. Way, way, way more salt. I know yeah. I do. And un even under the conditions of sweating a lot, I'm betting that most Americans still get plenty of salt to replace that. But I have a relatively low salt diet. Yeah, she, I cook she's most a lot of raw food. foods and a lot of uh, foods that are like fresh vegetables, stuff like that, that yeah. just don't have any salt on them. So. I'm not a raw foodist, guys. I think that's goofy. But she eats but, a lot of apples and oranges. Yeah, and, fruit and, and uh, salads and things like that. Broccoli that's, that's I, not raw. It's just been heated, you know. Yeah, but I eat a still, lot of that stuff in the you know, summer. It's still no salt on it, so. Yeah, I don't put a lot of salt in my sauces and stuff. But most for most people, salt is not a big deal. I know they used to give us these salt tablets when we were in school. When it got really hot, they'd give us salt tablets. Yeah. And feed us French fries. And, oh, speaking of French fries. Oh, those were nasty. <laughs> I think this we would be the aside for yeah, today, This would be folks. the aside for today. We were, um, we were in, in Como yesterday, Columbia, Missouri. And we stopped, of all things, I took her to White Castle. Which he wanted is hilarious to see how horrified he could make me. <laughs> right. I, I, it was kind of one of those deals where she hadn't eaten, and, and I wanted she. I just wanted to see how horrified I could make her. <laughs> okay, we don't eat meat at restaurants. We just don't. You know, we're not. 
you will not see us sitting down and eating a burger. You know, unless we, unless we know exactly where that came from, we're not eating it. And, and that, how it was processed. That one came from it? hundreds of cows. And yeah, that's, that's just, just not, not happening. But deal. they do have credit where credit is due. They do have vegetarian sliders. Uh, you're going to have to tell me whether it's clear. Still clear. Still clear. Or the most dangerous intersection in the state Still of Missouri. Clear. Not even kidding. There was somebody killed here last week. Um, anyway, so they had vegetarian sliders. They even cook them on a, a separate grill. So I took her in there and I got her three vegetarian sliders. And I got three sliders myself, vegetarian. And this is just our aside. And I ordered an order of french fries. And let's just say, while the sliders are edible, the vegetarian sliders, they're very little like meat, actually. They're just vegetable patties. The french fries were the single most disgusting (laughs) set of french fries I can recall. I picked two french fries out of the bag. And I'm driving. I admit I, I eat when I'm driving sometimes. I pulled them out of the bag. And they were just, they just bent over limp. The bottom of the fry was pointing at, that he was holding was pointing at the ground, and so was the top of the fry. (laughs) And then I could feel something running down my (laughs) finger. It was the grease. Yeah, they were. So, yeah, those were, yeah, not a big fan. Uh, I I love French fries. Speaking of salty foods, and I shouldn't eat much of. I love French fries. But I'm here to tell you. Them things was E and DeVille. I think I ate five or six of them. She ate two, and that was enough for her. So then we pitched the rest. Sometimes, you know, when we have extra food, we'll stop out by the side of the road and dump the food out for the critters out there. Not this stuff. <laughs> we we like the critters better than to give them this kind of <laughs> garbage. Okay, end of a side. So those are salty foods. Let's talk about... Heat-related stuff. You know, I, I know a person, a good friend of mine, actually died from overexertion shoveling snow. It wasn't heat-related stuff. But people die of overexertion in the heat, too, and it hits you pretty quick. So we're just going to run over the signs of heat exhaustion and heat. Yeah. Um, if somebody's turning red and they're sweating profusely and they're feeling weak, Maybe they get a little dizzy when they stand up suddenly. Their uh, heart rate's faster than it should be. It feels like their heart's racing in their chest. That's what we call heat exhaustion. And it is not an immediate life-threatening emergency right yet, but it's fixing to be. I had this happen to me three or four years ago, whenever it was. We had just bought the place, and we were hustling to get seed down along the dam and then all the areas that we had scooped out around the pond. And then straw mulch over them. So and it, it was an August day, away. and it was blazing. It yeah, was it was 100. like 109 that day. Yeah, and down there where the pond is, there's no breeze, but there sure is a lot of sunshine. Yeah, and I was doing the backside of the, the dam, and I got almost all of it done, but I was just... I basically was kind of walking on the slope, I took a step, and I just kind of went bloop and fell down. Just, I got so dizzy, I fell down. And I'm like, okay, this ain't right. Yep. So I went Time over. Time for and, Salty to move to the air-conditioned truck. 
Yeah. Well, for take a cold drink. At the first part, I just went over and sat down on what we call Cedars Rock, because there's this big, huge rock. It was an erratic that was in the in the dam area that he pushed to the side. This is and how I got really the nice, name Cedars Rock. Yeah, that's how I got the name Cedars Rock. So I sat my butt down in the in the shade on Cedars Rock, and uh, sat there for a few minutes. Then I went up and got in this here truck and turned the air conditioner on full blast and cooled off. But yeah, it got to me. She didn't overheat. My gosh, if I could find that picture. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I look like a straw her, monster. I was sitting, I looked the same way. I mean, yeah. I looked exactly the same way. Because not only are we seating, but we're putting out straw. And so the straw, we're just covered in dirt and sweat and straw. You know, and, yeah. you know, what, one of the things I could have done, and one of the things if I thought if there were any way uh, life-threatening, I could have jumped in the pond. That would have cooled me off pretty quickly. Um, but at the time, this pond was fairly fresh, and it was very muddy. It was I, did not want, I mean, it, it would have been a mud fest. But he would have had pond water on him nonetheless if he had stopped sweating. Right. I'd have gone in, I'd have gone in the pond if I had stopped sweating, because that's when you yeah. start to really get in trouble. Uh, you stop sweating because you're basically running out of water. And when you run out of water to sweat out, your core is overheating. And overheating of the core is actually the really dangerous part, and the low blood pressure is another really dangerous part from the loss of body water. So heat exhaustion, you're running low on water. You're still sweating a lot because you're trying to cool yourself, but you can feel it's not working well enough. And the flush of your skin is because you're dilating the blood vessels near your skin to try and get rid of as much heat as possible. Uh, which is not terribly helpful when it's 109 degrees outside. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you're trying. So those are signs that you're starting to overheat your core and you need to take serious and immediate steps to quit overheating your core and let your body temperature come down. Because if you don't take care of that situation and you go into actual heat stroke when the person stops sweating, that is a life-threatening emergency. You can die a heat stroke. The other problem people occasionally get into are um, dehydration problems and lack of salt problems. Dehydration, yeah, everybody knows you're supposed to drink a lot when you're outside in the heat. But a lot of people actually don't do it all that well. And it's possible I am the water bottle police every now and then when we're on a bike ride. Right. And, frankly, another part of it is, even if you do really, 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 really drink, 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 there's only so much water your body can process. Yeah, you can time. absorb about a liter an hour from the gut. So if you're sweating out more than a liter an hour, which is certainly possible under hot and humid conditions, especially when you're working you're going to go into a net negative water balance. Now, how you respond to this depends somewhat on how heat adapted you are. Because if you've been spending most of your time in air conditioning and have not been working out in the heat, you are not heat adapted. You won't sweat enough to help cool you effectively. You'll put extra salt into the sweat compared to somebody who is heat adapted. So you'll salt deplete yourself more quickly. 
And you also won't have much body water to spare. You'll have the right amount of body water to start with. So as soon as you get any significant loss of body water, you start suffering from degradation of ability. When one regularly works out in some heat and keeps it restrained enough not to take themselves out of their ability to cope, then as they do that, their sweat glands learn to make the sweat and then steal some of the salt back so you don't make as salty of sweat. They'll start sweating earlier when they at the smaller signs of overheating. And they actually produce more sweat, but it's a more dilute sweat. They cool themselves more effectively. They don't lose as much salt. And they carry extra blood volume. It's called the hypervolemia of the athlete. They'll carry some extra blood volume. So, okay, the first half pint they sweat out, they don't even miss. Because they were a half pint high to start with. So they've got an extra cushion there of water loss before they start dehydrating. So if you know you're going to have to be working out in the heat, you got to start slow and work yourself up to it for greatest safety. Which is exactly why I was able to finish laying down the straw. It's not that I'm superwoman. It's that I've been out in the heat, working in the I heat had. regularly. I, I work a day job. I work, in the, I work in the office. She had been out. She'd been off all month, and she works... You know, rides a bicycle at night and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Now, I do too, but I'm not as nearly as much as she does. He's out more at the, uh, in the evening. Right. And I'm not out during the middle of the day because I'm working during the middle of the day. I, I would contend that I was working too, but working in the garden. Yes, but that's not the same. <laughs> I work in an exactly. air conditioned office. I was out in the, in the not sun the and the heat and had a chance to be better heat adapted. Another thing too that you have going um, is there's a bit of a stigma to, to you know, complaining, or not complaining, but saying the truth about how you're feeling when you're feeling like this. And that's why a lot of the people who actually get heat stroke are not the lazy people, they're the go-getters. Yeah. Because they won't stop, they, they won't slow down. They don't want to admit even to listen. themselves they're not coping well enough. The friend of mine who died from, again, it wasn't exactly the same thing, but it was overexertion. Uh, shoveling snow was a go-getter. He was the kind of guy who, who if you ain't working, you ain't doing it. I mean, you're not, what's the work, point of living if you aren't working? Working hard, working hard. Well, he, he worked hard until his heart gave out and he fell over dead. Had he been doing it the lazy man's way, he'd still be here today, most likely. Or listening to his body and to a reasonable degree. Right, because he had been not feeling well for a couple of weeks, but he just pushed on past it because a man doesn't, just because you're not feeling well doesn't mean you're not going to work. Well, you know, sometimes you need to stop and listen to what your body is telling you. Sometimes it's telling you it's hot and I'm uncomfortable and sweaty and sticky. And sometimes it's telling you I've got palpitations. I am getting dizzy when I move. I feel an unnatural heat right at the surface of my skin because I'm so flushed and people say I look really red. So there's a difference between discomfort and danger signs, but you need to know the difference. And when they're danger signs, you absolutely need to pay attention to them. Okay. Well, what do you do about this? There's several things you can do about this. Uh, and it depends on the severity of, of what's going on. But the first thing you really need to do is you need to stop and find a way to cool down. 
You need to elevate your feet if you can. You need to uh, get in cool air. If you can't get in cool air, get in cool water. Uh, in fact, if you're really, really, really hot, there's no faster way of cooling down. The water. It, water is, it is so much more, um, so much more uh, Able to quick. remove heat yeah, from the surface of the heat. skin. It conducts heat from the skin to the water. 25 times faster than you conduct heat from air, from uh, skin to air. And you say, well, yeah, but the water's hot. The water's not that hot, probably. If the water is below what your core temperature should be, which is about 98 Fahrenheit. And almost all water is. Then it's going to cool you. People die of hypothermia in 87 degree water if they're in it long enough. Because water steals heat from your body so effectively. And if you don't believe this, become a scuba diver, and you will find out how yeah, you fast will, you, you can will get discover cold. how oh that Hawaiian beach water that felt so nice when you when you went in for a quick swim, you're in there for an hour long dive and you're shivering if you don't have a heavy enough wetsuit. And we're not so. even joking; we're talking about right off the Kona coast, you'll be shivering. So Those laying in water have. is effective. Yeah, laying uh, towels over somebody and then wetting down the towels is effective, especially if they're light towels, so they'll conduct the, uh, you get the evaporation cooling from them even when they can't sweat themselves. Those uh, cooling towels they sell are meant to be quick uh, evaporation towels, and they cool the skin better than normal cloth does. Those are a really effective prepper kind of option. Obviously, getting into the shade is key. Yes. Um, But that was my, you know, if I had felt any worse, I was going to the pond. Because that's where, I, I mean, I knew I, that will cool me down, especially a pond like ours. Our pond is, we're, it's a very steep, deep pond for the size of it. Yeah. You know, it's a third of an acre or so, more or less. It's not a very big pond, but it's 19, 20 feet deep. And so it doesn't, you don't have to get very many it feet down for it. highly it's stratified. really cool. When you swim in the pond, if you're swimming right on the surface, all of your body is in the warm water. But as soon as you uh, stop and start treading water so your feet go more than three feet down, your feet are in the cool. So that is an option. If you are trying to cool somebody, drawing water from the bottom can be more effective than drawing from the top of a relatively still surface like these ponds. And even even, uh, a much bigger lake, it does not take the thermoclines... Uh, thermoclines in lakes are weird. If you've never seen a thermocline, yes, I said seen the color, the, the stratification of the water, because you can literally see it in a lake. There's a density difference, so much so that it looks like the barrier between uh, the vinegar layer and the oil layer in some salad dressing that's been sitting there for a while. If you just slosh it a little bit and you see that barrier shift around, that's what a thermocline looks like when you're in the water. And lots of time there'll be some vegetable decay. Uh, like trees and stuff like leaves that and stuff is like that. Different. That's sandwiched in density between right. the two layers. And so there'll literally be a, a layer of crud in the water between the two layers. Yeah, relatively clear water, a uh, couple of millimeters thick worth layer of organic debris, and then the cooler layer on the bottom. It's really weird. It is. It's kind of cool. Kind of cool though. Uh, really. But, uh, and in most in most like lakes and quarries, you see them. You know, usually you'll have a 
the top layer, which would be six, eight feet. And then you'll have a, a small climb of, oh, another six, eight feet. And then you get 15 to 20 feet down, you'll hit the cold. Since cold water is so protective, one thing you can do if you know you're going to be working outside and won't have access to coolers, won't have access to air conditioning, that kind of stuff, you can take sealed containers of the beverages of your choice, tie them good and tight, toss, uh, attach them to a rope, attach them in, uh, throw them into the deep part of the water so they fall down below the thermocline, let them sit there for a while. And then you haul them out, and you've got chilled drinks, effectively. That's how they used to do it back in the in the days of sail. They used to put, you know, when you're out at the out in the ocean, they used to drop a drop a case of wine or whatever they wanted to drink, a beer. They drop a case on a sixty fathom line, and that gets it down below the the main thermocline where it gets cold. You know, it gets into the fifties. They bring it up. They Very have a, not ice cold beer, but pretty cold so yeah a related thing is it happens to me a lot especially as i've gotten a little older and gotten not quite as good as conserving my salt when i sweat i'll finish working outside or riding going for a long bike ride and i'll have this uh gritty film of of salt on my surface uh, that make, means there's a very high likelihood I'll start cramping at night. When I start to fall asleep and blood flow to my muscles changes, I'll be salt-depleted enough that it'll start triggering cramps. Yeah, she'll come in from a bike ride, and we'll be salty and salty. <laughs> but yeah, she sees that layer. She knows she's going to... And the, the cramps are, man, they'll just, they'll just... You move your foot just a little... And it triggers And it, it triggers that cramp, and woo, Nelly, that hurts. He's used to watching the eyes pop out of my head. When well, my I, eyes have popped out a time or two as yeah. well. I mean, you're not the only person that has happened to. Yeah. You cramp worse than I do, though. I do. But she, she is an unusually salty person when in her sweat. Yeah. Her, she's saltier than just about anybody I know. In fact, when she takes off her baseball cap that got soaked. Got yeah, salt rims on it? Nah, yeah. yeah, it's not pretty. Not pretty. But... The cramps are a sign, too. And if you do start cramping, you want to rehydrate. Uh, some people like the fluid replacement, uh, the electrolyte replacement drinks, sports drinks kind of things. Yeah, I'm lukewarm on those, but what I will say is... A lot of calories. A lot of calories. Uh, there. Yeah, they have some low-calorie versions. Yeah. And- but you still got to pay attention, because when you're sweating... The diet of most people is much richer in sodium than potassium. Potassium you get mostly through fruits and vegetables. Sodium is the commonly used preservative and flavoring. The average American diet has tons of sodium and not much potassium relatively. So when you sweat, you're losing mostly sodium but some potassium. Most people can replace the sodium from their diet easier than they can replace the potassium. So it's the potassium loss that actually bites them first, causes muscle weakness, causes uh, our team doctor for one of my sports teams will have the athletes try and exert force against him, and he'll feel for a little kind of quiver in the muscle as it's trying to exert force. And he uses that as a gauge to how many potassium um, gluconate tablets he's going to feed, and he feeds those pretty generously. He does not feed sodium tablets at all. 
He just feeds the potassium gluconate tablets. And this is a guy who regularly treats people for events like 72-hour races. Ultramarathons. Ultramarathons. Well beyond Iron Man distances. I can tell you more about it, but we don't want to give away who the guy is. But he's a very interesting guy. Very, very fascinating guy. And if anybody knows how to treat heat-related and People who've been exerting in the heat. He knows. He's the guy. So that's what he does. He feeds us potassium gluconate. I, myself, am not a doctor. But he is. So I am reporting (laughs) what he does. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't feed salt tablets at all, but I... Uh, so if you are going to go the electrolyte replacement drink route, take a look at the labels. Some of them are mostly sodium, and some of them have a pretty good potassium content. I think we, we actually did a podcast on this that I have never published yet. Oh, we might give, I knew it was familiar, but... Yeah, we might give them a twofer. We might yeah. give them a twofer. Um, it was on another hot day last summer, maybe. Yeah, it was maybe. on another hot day. Um, we might do a twofer on this one. Because, yeah, that's a, There's that's more a podcast of it in there. we haven't, we never did. I've got, i got to be honest with you, my good friends, we've got about 25 episodes that we have yet to release. And several of them from last winter that we're going to hold over till next winter because they're really winter things. Yeah, we're on vacation and in the car a lot and recording a lot, but not able to process and load a lot. <laughs> yeah, and I don't like to do more than one a day. so We're not trying to bomb you so we will though (laughs) we're not we're north we're north korea we'll drop a bomb on you we don't care but we won't do it using 1948 bombers like north korea has sitting (laughs) on their runways yeah Uh, i gotta admit i'm a i'm a i'm a airplane guy i love airplanes second digression i love airplanes and i was looking at uh i was doing some research and study on the chosin reservoir the the marine um Attack away from the Chosin Reservoir. I'll put it that way. We attacked in reverse. Attack in the homeward direction. Yes. Marines don't retreat. They just attack in a pick a new uh, avenue of attack. So as we were doing that, we had built a we were building an airfield or air support field at the Chosin Reservoir, basically updating the one that the Japanese had built during World War II. I was curious if that thing was still there. So I started looking at it, and I went on the Google satellites, and I know a lot of a lot of airplanes from the Cold War era on up. And I looked at the satellites, and I thought, what in the world are those things that North Korea has sitting on that airport? What are those things? And it turns out that they are... Post World War II vintage, first generation Soviet jet bombers that the Soviets phased out in the seventies, and that's what is that's the the North Korean Air Force's main bombing force. Are those? I mean, I couldn't even call it antiques anymore. I mean, so I just thought that was interesting. I didn't even recognize. I. Once I found out that there were beagles, I was like, okay, yeah, but those are still in service? I thought they were the last of them that had gone during the Vietnam era. But anyway, that's my digression. So we're going to wrap this up. Thank you for listening. Stay cool. Stay cool.